Spectre Creative Studio. Everybody is enjoying themselves to their fullest extent. It's a wonderful sight seeing people genuinely enjoying themselves. There's no false pretense about this whatsoever. Hello, and welcome to What's Cool, a podcast about passions and everything else. I'm your host, Sam Brywill, and this week's special guest is David McNeil, the founder of Expat Empire, an expat-focused resource and consulting site. Welcome to the show, David. Hey, Sam. Thanks so much for having me on. I'm very excited to be here. Yeah, it's exciting to have you on and to be able to connect over Zoom and do this whole international conversation thing. Yeah, definitely. Based here in Portugal, I guess I don't have too many friends that are doing some neat podcasts, so... It's great to be able to do it online, and I guess that's just how things are going these days, so we're, we're going with the punches, you can say. Um, as a bit of an introduction, I would just like to start out with our guests and ask them, you know, can you tell us uh, what you do, like more specifically than, you know, that I said, and how you got there broadly? Sure. So uh, I'll try to keep it sh- on the shorter side, but it tends to take a while. Um, no problem. In general, so I'm, my name is David McNeil. I'm originally from the United States. I mostly say California, but I moved around a lot. Uh, I had an interest, I guess, in living abroad since I was quite young. My first passion was to try to move to Japan. And I tried to make that happen. I mean, of course, I visited and, and took language courses over there and, of course, in the United States as well. Tried to make that happen coming out of university. Didn't find the right, right opportunity. So I started my career in investment banking in the U.S. Just thought that was a good place to go from a finance major. Did that for two and a half years, uh, which was definitely plenty of time for me to be doing that. Moved to San Francisco, uh, started working in product management. So I uh, started yeah, basically working at tech companies, helping the developers figure out what to build next. And in my first company there, I had an opportunity to move to uh, Beijing for three months, which was amazing. Came back, wanted to do more, actually asked them if I could go for one year uh, at least back and, and really get involved in the scene there. Unfortunately, I was laid off with my boss a couple of weeks later. So I took that and said, all right, I still want to go back to Asia, well, uh, abroad, but Asia in specific, and uh, started looking at opportunities in China and Japan and managed to get that opportunity that I, I really wanted to go to Japan. I worked at a company there for two years. And uh, yeah, long story short, saw that I wasn't quite able to find the next role that I wanted within Japan. So I started looking abroad and Berlin had always been in the back of my mind. So I found an opportunity in Berlin, was there for three years. And then now I'm living in Porto, Portugal. So I moved here about a year ago for another job opportunity. And um, yeah, I guess that's the short version with (laughs) uh, probably a lot more detail that we'll get into later. But uh, what I'm doing now is uh, basically I'm working on a project, as you mentioned, called Expat Empire. So I noticed in being able to move abroad to a lot of different countries, there's a lack of really good, actionable, relevant, genuine, trustworthy advice for people who want to move abroad. So I saw that opportunity in the market. And the first thing I did was I wrote a book about my time in Japan because I really wanted to get that type of advice when I was trying to move there. So I wrote that book and I launched it back in July of 2018 with a website. Shortly after that, I started releasing the Expat Empire podcast. So I'm talking to founders, but also just general expats from around the world. They're living in different countries and seeing how they were able to do it, listening to their stories, giving some advice to listeners as well that they can kind of figure out how they can be able to move abroad if they're interested in doing that. Uh, I 
started a, a meetup group here in Porto, Portugal to uh, get the expats basically and also locals, of course, well together to network, build community. Um, and I started uh, doing some consulting services as well. So, of course, people need that extra push or extra helping hand to be able to make their dreams a reality. So that's really what I'm focused on right now. And yeah, I hope that gives a good overview to you and your listeners. Yeah, definitely. Um, I def okay, so doing research and um, just getting prepped for the interview, I went on to Expat Empire and I liked the, I found that there was like a lot of good resources and a lot of different like media, which I thought was interesting that you have a lot of different kinds of um, platforms that you're on and things like that. But I went right. through your steps, like the step one to step six. And I was like, right. holy shit. I was just so, it was really, it was stressful to read. I was like, oh my God, because my experience living abroad was pretty simple. It was like, I finished school and I, you know, I finished school early. I wasn't really quite sure what I wanted to do. I had had friends who lived, lived abroad. My partner had lived abroad and I was saying, okay, cool. Like all I did, I found, I lived in China. I found a, like a, you know, there's like a place called Dave's ESL Cafe, like all of these like blogs that have been there since like the early 90s, honestly. So lots of resources. Sure. Um, and so I found the job, they got me over. But after reading your experience, you kind of like, it was like disparate. It was all over the place. You were in Asia, then you're in Europe, then you're, you know, I think, and what I found the difference, the main difference was interesting was that I found a job to go live abroad. And I think that what, what's cool that you've been able to do is, use your job to live abroad like use your expertise and what you've been exactly. able to, to go live abroad so i mean what is the like did you when you were in college when you're university did you pick a major that you were like i know that i want to live abroad and so i'm going to do this because i know this is a good opportunity or were you just kind of like i'm going to do this because i love this and then i'm going to make it work for me wherever it is it's a great question and i'm going to give you the honest answer of course it would be great to say I could see everything, you know, 10 years down the road from university, uh, crystal clear. And I just followed that exactly. And here I am, you know, it worked out perfectly. But the honest truth is that it was a lot, a lot of trial and error. And I tried and um, yeah, I'm glad reading through those, those points and the steps that I've taken so far that it, it comes through that it, it's not been an easy ride. And that's exactly the type of message that I want to get across to people because I think if you're reading the typical Oh, five amazing things about living in, you know, China, for example, or uh, here's, here's what's awesome about Beijing or, you know, this, this or that. It, it feels like the content doesn't really get to the heart of, well, how do I make that happen? And, and the reality that it is very hard at times. So for me, uh, yeah, to answer your question more directly, I uh, was studying finance, as I mentioned, in university. Um, my first thought was that I would do international business, but then getting into university, I realized that maybe that major wasn't as strong. It was sort of more generic as opposed to being more, you know, uh, specific concentrated field. And so I thought maybe I should have some direct experience working and studying something that I could actually apply myself uh, using abroad and, and not in such a general context. So I picked finance, but I was also double majoring in Japanese. I had been studying Japanese for a long time before that. So I came in with some credits and that was easy to add as a double major for me. Um, but coming out of that, uh, yeah, I started looking for jobs at banks and different things in Japan because that was my sole focus at the time. And yeah, I didn't really find the right opportunity. I got to some final rounds. I had some great interview experiences, but one great piece of advice that I got along the way from one of the 
people I actually interviewed with, uh, who interviewed me, was that uh, she said, yeah, it's great that you have, you know, this interest in Japan, you have your Japanese language skills, but it's really fantastic if you can start your career in the U.S., build some experience and be able to utilize that in a foreign you know, country in a different context. And so I said, okay, great. What's sort of, at the time, I just thought, well, what's the best experience I can get coming out of a finance program in university? Great, I'll do investment banking. So I started focusing on that because that was the hot topic of the day. Now it's obviously working directly in startups. So I just kind of took the uh, general consensus of, of the students at the time. And, uh, and eventually, like I mentioned, some a couple of years later, I was looking at how can I be working inside of a business to build a business as opposed to doing financial transactions for a business. And that led me to, okay, I'm interested in technology and I was also working on tech com with tech companies at the bank. And I thought, okay, San Francisco is the place to be number one. And number two, what can I do at a bank or at a tech company, excuse me, that would be more interesting, the most interesting thing that I could do coming out of this finance job. And I found out about product management where basically you work with a team of developers and figure out with input from customers, from management, from, uh, from sales, from marketing, and just seeing the general trends in, in the market going forward, what type of product that you should build. And so uh, I thought this sounds really interesting. I joined the company, which thankfully did have some international offices. They'd acquired, it was a gaming company, so they'd acquired some other studios. And, but I didn't really think about it. It wasn't a thought of, oh, I'm gonna go here because they have a China office, for example. It was, this is a great opportunity. And when I got there uh, about six, seven months in, there was a big meeting where they said, we need to send product managers abroad for three months, basically like a deployment to help people on the ground in those, in those offices. Uh, the two offices were the Beijing office in Vancouver. And I just thought, or, or of course you could try to stay in San Francisco if you didn't wanna go, but for me it was, no, I'm absolutely going. This is my opportunity, right? So right. I just took it. Uh, I said, send me to either one, wherever you need me is where I'll go. They needed me more in Beijing. So I went there and had an amazing three month experience. And then I was lucky enough to basically be at that point, you know, about a year into being a product manager. And from there, it just sort of, I mean, I found the right opportunities certainly, but which took a ton of searching, don't get me wrong. Um, but I managed to sort of, end up in a career as a product manager working at, on software, on mobile apps, and on websites to be able to utilize that experience and those skills in a lot of different contexts, different types of verticals, but also different geographies as well. Because there's, you know, I mean, working at a German startup, uh, working here in Portugal at, well, kind of Portuguese startup, let's say. Um, there's obviously differences, cultural differences, but the core skill set's the same. So I think that's how I've been able to do it. And I mean, yeah, to be clear, I did get the job here as well. I'm doing Expert Empire as well, like on the side. Um, so it's a bit still of a side project, but I want it to be over time, you know, become my core focus. And I definitely recognize that the skills and experiences that I've gained working abroad in these different countries, I really believe are use going to be useful to other people as well. And that's what I've been seeing with my clients so far. Something that I noticed is whenever you had mentioned that you grew up in Alabama, but then moved to LA and that you were kind of used to being indifferent. I want I mean, it's a culture shock for sure, but whenever you moved to Singapore for your university semester, was that similar right. to the, was that similar to the, um, 
the culture shock difference that you realized whenever you moved to LA or was it like, were you able to like hone skills that you had kind of curated from that experience? Yeah. Yeah. It's a good, it's a really good question. I think uh, it also helped to have some travel experiences uh, before that. I mean, not so many more with family and I took a, a trip to study uh, for a month in Japan and so on. So I did have some previous international experiences, but what that trip really taught me was that, um, first of all, I can make it work anywhere. So as you're saying, I mean, the, the key is being able to understand how to obviously associate with people, be able to get along, make friends. And you can do that in so many contexts and cultures, uh, especially it just takes, it just takes practice, let's say. So yeah, moving all the way across the US multiple times growing up, that was a big part of it. And I had also moved to the University of Texas at Austin for, for university. So of course I was coming in as an out-of-stater from California, having to uh, get to know all the, the, the Texans from all over Texas. Uh, of course, some international students as well, but really I think those were great experiences to help me dip my toe in the water as far as, as what it would be like to be, to be abroad and the types of skills I need to have. The second thing that that experience taught me was that I didn't have to go to Japan. Uh, for the longest time, I thought Japan is a place for me. I was so focused on studying Japanese. I'd done immersion programs. I had done speech contests. I was studying after school. It was it was a huge passion in my life up to that point, and it still it still was and is. But it really like I also knew people in my classes studying Japanese that were so focused on Japan, Japan, Japan. Every opportunity that they had, they would go there, and it's an amazing country. I mean, there are people like that about Italy, about Germany, about China, wherever. But what I discovered is I don't think I just want to be in any one place for the rest of my life. And, and seeing Singapore or seeing more countries in Southeast Asia on travels, um, you know, taking weekend flights, long weekends to, to Thailand, to Indonesia. I mean, it just, you know, it also becomes a bit addictive, right? Maybe you have that experience as well, oh, yeah. but you just start, you just get a, a taste of it. And it's, it's, yeah, you're addicted. It's always, where's the next spot? Where else can I check out? What else can I do? I need something new. And um, yeah, I think my feeling on that has evolved a bit over time and I have a bit more of a relaxed life here in Portugal, but I definitely uh, saw the need for me to be mobile, to, to try a lot of things and, and not be stuck in any one place or culture or country. How do you, you know, continue to overcome the culture shock? Like you've been in these places and you're not staying there for just like a weekend or like a two week vacation. You're staying there for, you know, months at a time. So I'm sure that there's a lot of changes that have to happen. So how do you, you know, focus on being able to overcome the culture shock in these new areas? Yeah. Um, hmm. I think, I think my uh, way to cope with that or my mechanism to get over it and of course, it, at the end of the day, it always just takes time. So there's no, there's no special tactic. But for me, what I do, for example, <laughs> I mean, it's a bit crazy, but I left, uh, I left Tokyo for Berlin, which is obviously a very long flight. Uh, I was very excited about getting to Berlin and sort of like I'd have my time in Japan. And of course, I was sad to leave, but I was really ready to hit the ground running in Berlin. So what did I do? I checked into an Airbnb. I, uh, before I had my long-term class, uh, I went straight to a meetup group. So I really recommend doing meetup groups, which is also why I'm running one here in Porto right now. Um, and I met a couple people who said, hey, let's go to this club. And I went straight to the club, 
And by the time I got there, it was probably there for 30 minutes before I started feeling like I should probably go to sleep. <laughs> but yeah. I didn't, I didn't make a long night of it, but it's that kind of, that kind of just go get it, hit the ground running, uh, you know, no questions to ask, just go do stuff, look up events, make, make those friendships. Um, you know, of course, that's the first part. Then after a couple months, you start to realize, yeah, this is hard. I'm having to deal with a lot of these challenges with visas, with job, with getting the flat figured out, with bureaucracy, with so much stuff. And, uh, and I don't have that local support system. You know, maybe you met a couple of friends, but having a beer with somebody at a meetup event or at a club is totally, totally different than having a really close uh, contact that you can confide in that's like your real buddy, right? So um, those are tough times. And I think the only way to get through it is to know that, uh, you know, I've, people have done this before. I've done this before. I mean, for me, even after this many moves, I still have to remind myself that the settle-in process where you really feel 100% comfortable, especially if you don't go there with a built-in network or family or anything, can take upwards of one year. Mm -hmm. And I think when you start to think it's going to take a month, three months, six months tops, uh, yeah, I think you really have to be prepared for a bumpy road. But honestly, once you get that core group of friends, once you get set up, once you don't have to go to the government office so much, once you get you know your job going well, then things are really settled into place and it's a much more comfortable life. So I always envision that and then I just work toward it until I get there. But yeah, you'll probably get a sense that I'm quite a, I don't know, hard worker. I'm quite determined. I'm quite motivated. So I guess for me, I don't let those little bumps in the road get in the way of the, the big dreams, the big success. That's awesome. I mean, I definitely resonate with that a good bit um, because my experience in China was pretty crazy as far as that being just a huge culture shock and like Chinese culture being so different than American culture and European culture and um yeah it was it was hard like it was definitely I feel like that challenge though has really made me into the person that I am like that those really just just overcoming that and knowing who I don't know like you get a sense of who you are when you're not around the people who continue to tell you who you are if that makes sense I don't know if you felt that as well um but for me it's just been a lot of it's been a lot of learning and um self-exploration through these experiences and a lot of self-reliance like I think you get very independent and you can well I guess for me and I guess this kind of leads to my next question for me I got to a point when I was living in China and I was abroad that I started to self-isolate because I was pretty much overwhelmed with everything that was happening have you ever kind of had that whenever you're traveling or whenever you're living in a new country yeah definitely uh I certainly have had that and and I agree that China was um I mean, it's, it's a totally different place for folks that haven't been there that are maybe more, you know, let's say Western uh, country centric in terms of their experience. So you're really, China is being thrown in the deep end. Uh, really? It doesn't get much saying. more <laughs> exotic than that. Um, even though, of course, if you're in the big city, I mean, a big city is a big city, but it is a different experience. Yeah. Uh, for me, I mean, specific to China, I... Of course, I went there with my company, so I had coworkers. I was with a, a group within a group of five, and then also um, there were guys on the ground already that were uh, from the San Francisco office that had already moved there. So I, of course, hanging out with locals and and everyone getting together and going to the bar and this and that as well. But 
already had, having the built-in network, knowing that it was at least initially three months getting set up by the company was a huge benefit in that case. Um, it's very different if you're just going on your own without that support. I also hit the ground there thinking, you know, I'm not sure. I'm just here like for these months. Let's see how this thing goes. And after one week, at least for me, after one week, I was so desiring to like get to know the culture better, to integrate myself, to be able to communicate that I just started taking online Chinese lessons. Yeah. And I just thought, yeah, this is a great opportunity. Let's do this. And I really enjoyed it. Um, you know, it helps come, I mean, in some concepts, I guess it helped coming from studying Japanese background, although not really, but at least I was more familiar with the Chinese characters I mean, right. in terms of how those things work and, and the mechanics. But um, in terms of the isolation part, uh, I've definitely had that. I'm, I think for me, like, for example, when I uh, was laid off from the company in San Francisco and I was trying to make my move to Asia, actually in that time, I took a 10-week trip through Europe, through Western Europe, let's say. And while I was doing that, I was having those interviews with companies in China and Japan. And uh, I did travel a bit with a friend for like one or two of those weeks. And of course, I met people at hostels and was trying to be social. But I really found quite quickly that it was, I mean, it wasn't necessarily the healthiest, but I found being isolated in that scenario where you're really meeting people, you're meeting people for one night out. And then you have the same 20 questions at the next bar the next right. night, you know. Uh, it was fun at the beginning, but after a while, I just got a little tired of it. And I was, you know, doing, taking the opportunity, of course, to take the interviews, but also do some self-reflection, figure out what I wanted next. So I had a lot of opportunity to be on my own in that situation. And of course, I chose that. I could have been more social as well. And by the end, I really was craving uh, some more meaningful interactions with people. So I did do some, you know, Airbnb, for example, uh, staying with family or, or something like that. So I could actually, you know, not just be on my own in a room somewhere. Um, and of course that was a shorter experience. So when I got back to San Francisco and saw friends, it was like, I was just craving that. And it all came out at that time. Like we got to hang out like every night. <laughs> right. so, um, it wasn't for the long term, but I think for me, I'm, I'm the type of personality that, like I mentioned, when I arrive on the ground, it's hit the ground running. Let's do this, go to meetups, meet people. And one of my tactics, go to those meetups and meet a couple people that seem interesting, talk to them for a while. Um, not, you know, it doesn't have to be the whole night or anything, but you don't have to talk to everybody. Make a couple of close acquaintances, get their information, and then meet up for them with a, for a beer, either that smaller group of three people that you met or just one-on-one. -on -one. And those, you, you, at least for me, I need to take those people away from being my meetup friends where we grab a beer in the context of whatever international meetup and into real friends. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, you know, the faster that I can do that and just ha at least have a core group around me doesn't mean that they're always going to be my best bud, but having those people that are, you know, you get to know better and in a way that's not sort of artificial, uh, I think it's a great way to, yeah, to getting comfortable and, you know, I, I, I personally try to avoid too much isolation, but I tend to be a more sociable person. It right. depends on your personality as well. Definitely. Um, yeah, I think it's, uh, I think that one-on-one -on -one is really important too, because it is like for us, we were in the teaching sphere. So I don't know how it is like when you're in the corporate sector, but you know, like teachers kind of tend to hang out with teachers because their schedules are pretty much the same versus the people who are working like a usual nine to five or whatever it is. Um, 
And so I feel like it, what I found was that in the groups, the, the people that I didn't, so it was like people that were not teachers that I met, there was a group called Global Friendship and it was kind of meetups of professionals. And that was really fun. Like it just seeing different people's experiences and realizing that there's a lot more expats than just teachers. But moreover to the point of, we actually made really good friends with um, this woman named Marlene and she's a New Zealander and she's Maori. And so she was just, and she's like a career or a career ESL teacher. So she had lived in Korea, she had lived in Vietnam and she was in China at the moment. And she had, she was, it was awesome because she was able to kind of be our guide. Like she would be like, okay, this is what you can expect. And it was more than just the living abroad part or more than just like the Chinese culture part. She kind of laid it down and she really, I mean, honestly, professionally, she made me a better teacher as well. So I mean, I think it's really important, like you're saying, to not only have the big group of friends that you can go out with. I mean, this could apply to anybody. This could apply to people who are in the United States too, you know, or like whoever, like if you're at home, like having the community of people broadly that you're networking is good, but also having those one-on-ones where you can really open up with people is so important as well. And I think it just speaks on the experience of like whenever you curate those relationships, you have a lot to learn from those people. And it really helped me and my partner make it through the like exhausting times of not knowing what we're going to do, wanting to quit, wanting to leave, wanting to back out, wanting to not go to work, you know, whenever it just gets overwhelming and she's just kind of like, get off your ass, do it. Come on. I'm here. You know, it was nice. And I think that's a great point to make that like, it's important to actually, even though, you know, maybe you're not going to be there for more than a year, or you know that you're not going to be there for more than three months to still get those connections made and not to just to sit and say okay I'm going to be flighty or I'm going to be a social butterfly and then I'm going to leave like you're there in the moment so live in that moment yeah absolutely and at the end of the day you don't know how much time I mean let's say you don't you don't know how much time you have in life in general I suppose Mm -hmm. to take it really broad but you also don't know how much time that you have abroad in a specific place um Every time that I moved, I thought, you know, okay, I'm going to be here for a long time. I'm really going to make this, make this work. And of course I put in a hundred percent effort to make that happen. But if there's that key point where you realize, okay, this isn't working out or I'm looking for something different, then you need to, you know, look at those opportunities and try to make it happen. I mean, I thought with Japan, like I mentioned, you know, it was my passion for so long and I finally got there. It was like a huge milestone for me in my life and my career. I was like, yeah, you know, this is where I'm going to be for the next five, 10, two, who knows how many, you know, years. And of course I met people there that had already been there 10, 15, 20 plus years. Wow. Um, and you know, they built great careers there, lots of entrepreneurs as well. Um, and then after two years, you know, uh, with some bumps in between, just realizing that, okay, maybe the opportunity that I'm looking for in my career is not quite what I'm going to find here. And so then it was, starting to look in Berlin and the very, the very first company I applied to after applying to many companies in Japan offered me a job before I was even able to visit them. It was all done. All the interviews were remote. And then it's like, okay, there's my sign, you know, let's move on. The universe is giving me a signal. Let's, let's do this. And it was definitely the right choice. Of course, there's parts of Japan that I missed and I love going back. Um, But you, you don't, you know, you need to be kind of ready to go like, you know, don't, don't wait around and do the stuff you want to do to take the trips that you want to take to hang out with the friends you want to hang out with or make friends for that matter, because 
Well, I mean, we can see here in the middle of the situation, like you never know what's around the corner, right? So Definitely. I think it's important to be on top of it and to find your sort of Yoda-like guide through yeah. the tough times, right? Like you were just yeah. talking about, so. So that's, yeah, I definitely think that's, I'm glad that you can concur on that um, point. Um, Absolutely. So my, I guess I want to kind of pivot to uh, where you are, I guess, now in Portugal and like your experience after Japan. So where have you lived the longest? I think 18 months in Germany, if I'm reading that correctly, but I don't know if that's, that's what I read on your website, but I don't know if that's the case still. Yeah. Um, so I think, um, trying to remember how it was on the site, but in general, I would say, let's see, the longest I've lived since I was in university for four years was in Berlin, which was three years. I think maybe, maybe the 18 months was how long my last job there was or something like that. I can't recall, but, um, <clears throat> but yeah, three years in Berlin, which was, uh, after two years in Tokyo. And then now I'm here almost one year in Portugal. Wow. So what has your most pivotal experience been to date living fully abroad? Mm. <laughs> pivotal experience. Um, let's see. It is quite hard to narrow it down to one. Um, but hmm. I mean, what, at least what I can say, because I don't have one jumping out to me on top of my head is, is that, uh, I mean, I, I suppose it's a collection of many of them right like sort of every yeah. place that i go to i'm learning something new and i'm definitely more keenly aware of cultural differences now because obviously i have a bigger uh group or bigger set of experiences to pull from so you know what for example this isn't maybe the right sort of exact answer to your question but just to give an example of what i'm talking about so when I was coming from Japan after two years, and of course, it's pretty much probably most people who know much about Japan are aware that Japanese people tend to be, especially outwardly, especially to the tourists, to foreigners, and so on, very polite. Uh, that's mm -hmm. the society there. To move from that to Berlin was a, a very intense cultural shock and experience. Right. Uh, so, for example, I was having some trouble with my, I mean, I, I just remember this very clearly because it was so shocking, but I was having some trouble with my prepaid phone plan when I first moved to Berlin. And this was after two years in Tokyo where the customers came, I think. Mm -hmm. And so I walked into the shop and I tried, I was like apologizing. I just arrived, you know, a few weeks before I was apologizing for my poor German that I hadn't really had much of a chance to study yet. And I was just trying to be as like, you know, sort of Japanese in my approach as possible. Excuse right. me, sir. I'm very much apologize. You know, this is what I'm, this is the experience I'm having. And the guy just looked at me with the most intense, like frustrated expect, uh, expression and was just like, you know, basically practically wordlessly trying to, you know, direct me. Uh, I felt like he was about to give me a hand gesture as well. Um, and, you know, at some point I was trying to explain that I tried to do this online and, and so on. And then he just said, he just cut me off and said, are you going to give me the chance to respond? Oh. And I just was like, oh man, you know, like, yeah, <laughs> I was there le le legitimately trying to be uh, <laughs> as amenable, as friendly, as kind and, and warm as I could be knowing that I was inconveniencing the store clerk with my question. And yet that's the type of response that I got. And right. I just remember walking away being like, 
what have I just got myself into, you know? And <laughs> it's been, it took the next few years of me really getting a lot thicker skin. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's been, you know, and that's also part of why I came to Portugal, much warmer people, let's say. <laughs> yeah, I definitely, I traveled after I left China. Uh, we did, we, I mean, we went to Berlin and we went to Portugal and we did the kind of like the Western Europe tour. We were based out of Budapest though. So it was, it was, it was so, I mean, it's exactly what you're talking about. When I asked you that question and you were thinking about it, I was kind of thinking like, what would I say? Because I mean, I wrote it down, but I haven't really thought about it. But it's funny that that's your experience because mine's kind of similar in the way that um, just, so my, my answer to that would have been the first experience I had on the subway in, in Guangzhou. That's where I lived. And mm-hmm. Guangzhou people are notoriously um, gruffer than other people in China. Like that's what, that's what I heard. That's what the people who lived there told me. Um, so it was really very, very shocking for people to like push you, like put their hands on you and push you physically or like nudge you or kind of these like really micro aggressive things where I'm not, you know, I'm not, I was not used to that at all. It was the aggression and like the, the anger and just like the rudeness for lack of a better term was like really, 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 really hard to get used to. So that was, um, but also like very exactly the same thing, kind of what you were talking about where you came from a culture, like I'm from the South. So like manners are king here. And even if you don't like somebody, you know, you still pretend like you do. And in China, there's no way to, for me, there was like no way to explain myself thoroughly in Chinese. And, you know, the language is, there's no pleasantries in Chinese language. It's very like statement, right. this is what it is kind of thing. So I think that definitely relates back to the culture too. So it took a long time to kind of get used to their mentality and get used to the way, like their business way. But it was just weird. And then going to like Hong Kong, right? Where it's absolutely not like that at all. People in Hong Kong are very different than the people in Guangzhou. So these like small differences just even you know i don't even probably like less than 200 or 300 kilometers down the way and it's just like cultural differences are so entrenched and it's not really about boundaries it's just about the culture and then going to europe and you know like we went we flew from hong kong to russia and the russian people were not very nice and like (laughs) it was just i mean not that they're not nice but i think it's just a culture of like this is that matter of fact culture but they can speak a little bit better english so it's a little bit more in your face and then going yeah. to going to uh, Budapest, where it was a, or, sorry Budapest, where it's a little bit more, um, you know, kind of similar to the Russian thing, a little bit more European, but also like post-communist, like this is the matter of fact kind of thing. And then going to like Holland and going to um, you know France, where it's a little, it's just different, and it's just all right. there's not really a thread of connection between everything. So I think just like building up that resilience and that adaptation skill to be like okay kind of pushing away all of the crap and being like, what is exactly what's like becoming modal in that way of like, we need to get things across. I think that's definitely yeah. a skill. And it sounds like that's kind of what you were saying, like you were learning of, okay, at the end of the day, I just got to complete this task and navigating right. cultural differences is definitely a skill, especially when you come from like an Eastern Asian company or an Eastern Asia um, country to now Germany and having that yeah. also post-communist kind of mentality as well. Um, well, it, it, it was funny because actually I, I was just thinking that in Japan, when I told my Japanese friends that I was interested in working in, in Germany, they would always say, uh, yeah, Japan and Germany, they're very similar. 
very similar, you know, they're like our, our good friends, da, da, da. and I would always ask kind of like, well, what, what's the big thing? Like, what makes you say that? And they would think about it for a second and they would say, yeah, we both, like both Japanese and Germans really love beer. And I just thought, well, that's a very, uh, you know, vague and, and not very helpful way to think about it. And then, I mean, really there was not much further underneath that. I guess there's some maybe commitment to work or, you know, to, right. doing, to good engineering, these types of things. But right. then when I arrived in, uh, in Germany after Japan, being in Japan for two years, I really saw how totally different the cultures are. So I just found it funny. I mean, it's more of a Japanese way of thinking, I think about broadly about foreign countries, but yeah, um, yeah it's funny stuff like that. And ju yeah, just, you know, just in your other point about how you adapt to these things. One thing that, I mean, it's worked for me and it's also aligned with my personality. So everyone's different, but just, just, you know, one thing that has even happened, I think in my personality since being abroad for these last years, and traveling for long before that as well has been to be more of a listener. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm still a social person, but I definitely, I definitely try to listen first uh, before I speak. And I think that's helped me a lot along the way. And especially as you change from culture to culture, because what, what worked for you in America or what worked for me in America will, and will not work for me in Japan, uh, right. what worked for me in Japan will not work for me here. So, you know, I think that um, that's a good place to start. Definitely. Yeah, I never thought about it that simply, but I think that's exactly right. Like listening and observing. And I mean, I think also it's kind of funny that you say that because I don't know if you had this experience too, but um, there, was a per there was a lot of instances like where we would, maybe we, maybe we went to a spa or like we went out to dinner or something like that and not really knowing the cultural customs or norms. So you kind of like sit in the back and watch, we're like we're going to watch what people do first and then we're going to do it. And like, just exactly. like, it sounds so yeah. simple, but it's so pivotal just to like kind of wait and see and be very observational because I mean, things are, I mean, at the end of the day, I, and I feel like I've kind of come to this point too here. It's like, in, by being back home, it's like, I just want to be, I'm a visitor and mm -hmm. your country and my, or wherever I am. And my mentality is not to change how you live your life to fit my needs, but more for me to be gracious and, and how exactly. I live and to, you know, and I think that's a part of the whole cultural experience is like kind of getting in there and getting deep and stop, like get your heels out of the ground and kind of get into it. And, you know, that's the only way to like, I feel like, I mean, maybe you feel like this and maybe you don't, but I feel like that's really the only way to kind of get out of that cultural shock and out of that, um, holding on to what you know is your norm is just to kind of go with the flow and like let go and just try it out and see and if you don't like it then you know bounce to a different country like that's kind of the beauty of what you learn exactly. living abroad is that you can get on a plane and go somewhere else like yeah that's that's something i've been writing uh, hopefully soon finishing sort of my list of main tips uh, that i intend to put on the website you know for newsletter subscribers and one of those is sort of this idea of don't overthink it. Um, and as, as far as which country that you should move to and how you should do it, of course, you need to be financially secure enough to be able to afford the move. You need to figure out legally how you can live there. I mean, these are the basics, but right. don't spend every second evaluating the pros and cons of every location. But on top of that, worst case scenario, if it doesn't work out, you really don't like it, everything you thought would be good is actually bad, or you didn't know about, you know, X, Y, or Z when you were thinking about it, then you can always choose somewhere else. I mean, 
at least in concept, you have to still make all the numbers work and, and everything. But right. Um, yeah, that's what I've seen as well. It's like there's usually a, a point where I've seen it's it's time it's time for me to move. <laughs> I guess Definitely. I'm given some signal, you know. And right. for San Francisco, it was being laid off. Uh, in Japan, it was okay. I've, this job isn't going the right direction I wanted. I didn't find the next thing yet. Let me look in Berlin. And then in Berlin, yeah, similarly, some, some job challenges with some roles that I had there. And my wife as well was just finishing up her program. So basically our timelines aligned to make a different decision uh, for our lives and our careers. And so it was like, okay, where's the next spot, you know? So mm -hmm. it's, I think that'll happen to most people in, in the end. So with your, um, with your expat empire, what have you found is the most, um, like maybe the most asked question or like where people really start their, their kind of uh, process with you? Like where do people get in? Yeah, so um, yeah, I'm always, basically I'm, I'm doing these 30 minute free consultation calls for anyone who just has an interest in talking about thinking about where they might want to move abroad to so i'm always kind of evolving and, and listening and really my my mindset and how i can help people is always um, forefront in my mind so yeah maybe in in time my answer will change but what i'm seeing in terms of people reaching out to these conversations and some you know a good portion of which become clients it's uh at first i thought that people might be more interested in the concept of what are my options around where i can move to and so that was my thinking going in. And what I've seen more of recently is people tend to have, not everyone, but people tend to have some idea for whatever reason. For me, it was Japan. You know, for other people, it's France, it's Italy, wherever it might be. They have that place in mind that they want to move to. Maybe they've had some language lessons. Maybe they had a great trip. Maybe they saw something cool on Instagram. Who knows? Um, and so it's really from that standpoint, okay, how do I make it happen? You know, and then for me, it's, really asking a lot of the key questions, you know, where is your income going to be coming from? Do you need to find a job there? Do you have a business that's going to sponsor you from your home country or you're, are you an entrepreneur, a, a retiree that's getting attention? Uh, so that standpoint from supporting themselves in terms of cost of living, but also uh, how it relates to visas. And then from there, you know, if they do need help finding a job, uh, if they do need help with planning their move in terms of all the steps, as you probably know, all the steps that it takes, all the government office appointments, um, moving stuff, finding your apartment, getting set up with the check-in for there with utilities. And then obviously when you move, as, uh, when you leave again in the end or move somewhere else or go back home, whatever you decide to do, then you have to do it all, <laughs> cancel all those contracts and do everything. Again. So um, all of those parts is how I've been helping people so far, but I'm always trying to personalize my help uh, and attention to people based on what they specifically need in their situation. So, I mean, do you have, have you noticed that there's a certain, you know, maybe not like a generation, but like, is it mostly like young people? Is it mostly people in their forties? Is it people that are, like you said, retirees? Like what, what have you noticed as far as people who are fielding you for advice? Yeah, definitely. I think it's, it's a mix. And I, um, I mean, it's, it's a little bit hard because there's so many different profiles that it's a little hard for me to target effectively, to be honest. But what I have thought uh, would be maybe the best fit in terms of the target, at least in my mind and some of the conversations I've had so far, has been people who are mid-career that are interested in making a move abroad, uh, but don't have the company behind them supporting them. 
Um, but I also, in terms of a lot of the people who are reaching out, it tends to be uh, maybe they're entrepreneurs and in this situation, they're more flexible. Um, you know, there's more, there's an increase in digital nomads and remote working and just globalization in general. So that's definitely a key part. And then on top of that, retirees as well, especially me because I'm here in Portugal. It's a great place for, you know, younger people as well, but there's a lot of benefits for retirees from the standpoint that uh, it's relatively easy to get uh, dual citizenship here, uh, especially for U.S. citizens, which can be harder in some other countries. That takes about five years to be able to then apply. And then also there's a 10-year basically uh, decreased tax scheme that you can easily become a part of if you move here, which used to be uh, basically waiving all local taxes on pensions. Now I believe they've increased it to 10%, but that's a serious decrease from, uh, well, many other countries, let's say, in typical situations. So you get sort of a 10-year tax holiday um, and still outside of pensions, a lot of other income is taxed at 0% and local Portuguese income is taxed at 20%, which is much less than the, let's say, 48% at the highest tax bracket. So. Uh, just to give some examples of, of why I've been hearing uh, from more retirees, but I think, you know, I think it's um, it's a time, especially in this situation where people are thinking about what their next step is. People are looking at where, you know, where there's a good opportunity, where there's good quality of life. And I think Portugal is one of those places. And then you get a lot of people wanting to join startups in Berlin and people wanting to have great cultural experiences in Japan. So, of course, I try to help everybody as I can. Uh, there's certain key things that are applicable across all locations based on those experiences that I've had there um, and focusing on those areas, that's, that's tends to be what I've seen. That's awesome. I didn't even, you know, I never thought about the financial aspect and like, I mean, clearly that's a huge benefit if you're definitely looking to save your pension, like you were saying, or, you know, moving exactly. for that reason. I never really thought about that because I haven't like, I'm not that point in my life right now. So sure, sure. no, I like that though. Cause that like is sparking a lot of ideas. I'm like, man, I know probably a lot of people who'd be interested in that actually. Maybe I can throw some business your way. I think that, I mean, I'm just, yeah, it's exciting. It's, it's amazing to help people, you know, uh, people who are looking for a change, people who are looking for that nice type of retirement or their, you know, next job to be abroad, who've always wanted to be in whatever country, to be able to talk to those people, hear their needs, hear their, you know, their pains, or their, their desire, why they obviously want to move, you know, what their current situation is, how I can help, and really to be able to be some type of remote Yoda-like figure, like the Definitely. one that you worked worked with or taught, yeah. anyway, were friends with in China, has um, been extremely rewarding. And I, I just view it as even when I was writing my book about Japan originally, it was like, this is the book that I wanted to find, that I wanted to have, that I wanted to read when I was looking yeah. to move to Japan. So if I can do that with additional books, with courses, with meetups, with podcasts, um, blog posts, and of course with the consulting, then yeah, to me, that really gets to the heart of my passion, right? Which is right. what this is all about. Absolutely. So. It was, I think one of the reasons that I was kind of interested in interviewing you was not necessarily because of the expat um, connection that we both have. And I was like, well, you know, it would be, I could actually, instead of like asking like, how is it like to travel and all this stuff, I could probably get down to the meatier questions that, you know, maybe you don't get as far as people who haven't had that experience. But there was also, I looked at your, um, your books and when you, you have your, you know, your expat's guide to Japan. And I was thinking like, cause when I lived in China, I was 
like this is what I was like I was telling my partner I was like we need to do this like we need to write a book like how like expat's guide to Guangzhou or living in China 101 and it was funny that you I was like hell yeah like he's done it let's hear what he's got to (laughs) say yeah it, it was it was cool to write that and to be able to for me you know it was a process of I'm not sort of a writer by trade clearly I'm yeah I did finance and product management but for me to sit down and write about my time in Japan, my experience from when I was young, getting into it, how I learned Japanese, how to deal with the business culture, how I got over there, you know, lots of resources and basically not just telling my story, but giving people the tools to make it happen themselves. Right. It really flowed out of me. Like I sat, I would sit down. I mean, I had to train, you know, to kind of sit down for a long time and, and write, but there was like, there was so much I wanted to say that it was almost like I just, I had to actually, you know, I could easily sort of paint out the whole picture of the book and just go through all my memories and experiences. And it was a really great sort of way for me to get that information out there. And I'm glad to see that it's helped people so far. Um, so I guess I had a question. I kind of want to throw it in real quick. Um, why I went through your, you know, through your different platforms that you're on. And I, you know, I think uh, like, you know, you're on LinkedIn, you're on Medium, you're on um, right. YouTube with the podcast have you thought about doing like a vlog or doing like Mm -hmm. uh, that kind of thing? Well, and the, I was going to ask that initially, but after hearing who you're working with and you're talking about targeting and I was like, okay, well maybe, you know, the target audience isn't necessarily the people who are going to watch like travel vlogs or whatnot. Right. Have you thought about that at all? You know, transitioning that way? Are you kind of focused on what you're doing now? Yeah. So it's a great question. Honestly, I mean, even the Instagram account is quite new. Uh, I was finding it, I mean, from a business standpoint, especially doing this, well, particularly doing this as a side project because it's not my full-time gig yet. I was, yeah, I was struggling as far as finding the time, of course, to make the content, whether it's writing something, recording the podcast, editing it, which I'm sure you know takes a long time yeah. and putting it out there. And then on top of that, finding all the possible places that I could post about it and mm-hmm. repost about it and, you know, reformat it and do this and that. And so for a while, I'd kind of put it on the side. Uh, but thanks to, you know, some encouragement from, from people saying similar things to, to yourself, I took the plunge, I guess you could say, even though it's so obvious these days to have an Instagram account. And, uh, and I've really, in the last few months, I've really tried to refocus on how can I get my message out there? How can I build my follower base outside of just what I can get organically on my website? As far as the, the vlogs concerned, I've thought about it. I think I need to do some more work on it and definitely need to make more space in my schedule if I were to go down that route. So for now, I've kind of taken, for example, you know, with the podcast, it's, um, getting the transcription on my website, uh, getting some images that I can share with it uh, on Instagram, on Facebook, on LinkedIn as well. Then it's uh, reposting the transcript, the full thing on Medium to try to get some extra traffic from that, uploading it directly through Podbean to um, to YouTube. Um, you know, kind of just doing whatever I can to get the most juice out of every single piece of content, right? Right. Um, I'm sure you're experiencing the same stuff. So We'll see if I can get there. I've I've had some good encouragement on that side as well. But um, yeah, hopefully in the future, I'll give it a shot. And I definitely want to get into online courses, which might get me in front of the camera as well. So yeah. Yeah, I think um, I feel I mean, the reason I brought that up is just because I think one of your posts was, you know, tips on getting an EU EU visa or something like that. 
And I was thinking like, oh, I would like to, I could see this being like a YouTube video, but right. the person that I see doing it on YouTube would be like, and this is no offense, but like some hippie who is like a dirty kid who's like, yeah, I just like got back from Vietnam and we're doing all this cool stuff, you know, like that kind of thing. And right. obviously right. like there's nothing wrong with that, but I don't see a lot of people who are in that sphere who are um, professional and like are, you know, have worked in like different corporate right. inter- corporate spheres who are experienced in working in not just like, you know, selling and hula hooping on the side of the road for money, but like, you know, and not like backpacking around Vietnam. (laughs) Like that's, that's a lot of, that's like the saturation of content right now. But honestly, like seeing people who are engaging and more professional and like long-term kind of um, ventures, I think would be a really good um, way to like, for me, especially just being curious or, you know, just stuff like that would be like, oh, okay, cool. It'd just be a different kind of insight. And I feel like not to say legit, but more legitimate, but just probably a, a good way to just get a different kind of, you know, young person who's not interested in just going out for a year and like kind of roughing it, but honestly, like wanting to build a career and like make something where, make something stable, you know, where they want to be. So. Absolutely. Well, thank you for the feedback. I'll definitely keep that in mind. And it's, it's good motivation for me to look into it further. So I think there, you know, with social media, I mean, as you know, there's just so, so many options, so much potential. Right. I mean, you know, I have I have a, a friend who's getting deep into yeah Instagram Live and TikTok, and mm-hmm. I'm not sure if the people I want to reach are necessarily on TikTok yet. But you know, it's it's <laughs> yeah, like I, I, I have to figure out the right platforms, the right way to to get my message out there, and I really appreciate you though. Yeah, totally. Um, I appreciate you coming on the show. Before we go, I do have one more question. Um, I was wondering, you know, since the pandemic and COVID-19 and the quarantining mm-hmm. locally, and I know the situation here is a lot different than the situation probably in Europe. Um, right. How have you been able to modify your business or like modify your approach through this? And like, what does yeah. the new normal look like in this kind of venture? Yeah, it's, it's a great question. It's definitely something I've spent quite some time thinking about. So For me, uh, to talk about the evolution in terms of my thinking and also my approach, um, when I first started out, I was definitely more interested in stories of people who lived abroad for some period of time. I mean, longer, let's say, than the tourist visa of any one country. Uh, I was, I I still think digital nomads, that's awesome. I, I think working remote from all over the world or from your own country in different cities, I think this is great. I just thought, okay, this is my experience. This is my wheelhouse. You know, this is what I know. And I also know that it is, like we've talked about in this uh, discussion, there are so many challenges that come up when you have to stay somewhere longer than 90 days or whatever you get on your tourist visa. So I thought this is probably going to lead to maybe some more interesting stories and showing people how they can do it. So so that's where I started. And since this has happened, uh, since just looking at kind of the broad trends in the world as well, that I really see that there is going to, at least I believe, there's going to be much more people. You know, there might be less corporate relocations in the sense that if some, if an engineer at Google can do the same job in this country as opposed to that country, then maybe they're not going to move them, right? It's going to be a remote team. Right. So maybe, for example, maybe Google or some of these companies might not move as many people around if they can, people can make it work remotely. On the other hand, I think there's going to be a lot more people that are fully remote friendly, you know, working at remote friendly companies, working remotely constantly from home, from the cafe, or it could be from, yeah, from Vietnam, right? So I think that those 
people when all of this settles, uh, whenever that does happen, hopefully sometime next year, let's say, then there's going to be this really a, a large increase uh, of people who want to move abroad who don't necessarily have the company supporting them, which I right. think gives a great opportunity for people to do it, do it themselves, more DIY. And I want to be there to be able to help them to make that happen. So to think through it, to see how I can help from a service perspective, but also, you know, in terms of thinking, in terms of planning, and, uh, and of course, help people to achieve their, their goals and dreams as it relates to being abroad. So in terms of the evolution of my business, now I'm just looking at and thinking about how can I connect with those, that group of people more? How can I get the word out, um, be on the right platforms in the right places, the right subreddits, wherever it needs to be? And also, um, yeah, to, well, frankly, to have more content and more interviews, more discussions with people who are trying to make that happen um, or who have made that happen. Because, yeah, most of my focus so far has been on long-term expats in China and Indonesia and Germany, you know, all of these places, right? So right. now if I can, um, now I can see that there's real potential there. And so I want to be able to give guidance to, to people who are, um, still, of course, trying to live abroad long term, but that also might be in a more remote friendly scenario where they're moving around. And, and so, yeah, we'll see what happens. But it has it's a great question because it's something I've thought about in terms of like, OK, will people be still moving abroad? And I, I think, yes, they will be. And in fact, I think it will be a different type of profile than it has yeah. been so far. That's awesome. So before we end, I just want to give you the opportunity, you know, to plug your websites, like plug whatever you'd like to do. Um, so how can we get in touch with you? Like where, we, where do you want us to follow you? All that good stuff. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks so much for the opportunity. So um, yeah, at Expat Empire on Facebook, on Instagram, as mentioned, we're on LinkedIn as well. Um, but really the website is expatempire.com. You can check out all of our content there. So we have blog posts, we have a passport to work in Japan book. We have the Expat Empire podcast, which you can find on all podcast networks. I've really tried to put it everywhere. So if you can't find it on your app, then please send me a message and let me know. Hopefully I'll, I can get it to show up there. Um, and yeah, of course, at the end of the day, you can sign up for our newsletter. We'll send you all the new content, additional stuff that you're not going to find on the site as well. And most importantly, if you're thinking at all, uh, just even the very early stages of how can I live abroad? Where should I go? What should I do? How can I make this happen? Or maybe you have that target place, you want to be in Paris and, you know, how can I make that happen in the next six months? Then please reach out. We're doing three 30-minute consulting calls. You can just put in a couple of details about, you know, about yourself, about your situation on our site. And I'll be sure to follow up shortly to book a call and we can talk through things and see how I can support you the best as I can uh, or from all of Expat Empire to achieve that goal. Dope. Well, I appreciate your time. Thanks for coming on. Yes, thank you so much for having me. It's been a blast. Really enjoyed the conversation and let's keep in touch. Absolutely. Thanks again for listening to this episode of What's Cool, an exploration of learning and connecting through our passions. Would you like to get in contact with us about your passions? Do you know someone who'd be a great guest for the show? Send us an email at whatscoolpod at gmail.com. You can also find us on Instagram and Twitter at whatscoolpod or on Facebook by searching What's Cool Podcast.